Hello, this is Robert Neville from the Food Justice and Sustainability Program at KAM Isaiah Israel in Hyde Park. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from the 13th Annual Good Food Festival and Conference at the UIC Forum in Chicago, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only weekly deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will... Good planets are hard to find. Good planets. They're not here for the good food. They're not here for the lively discussions. They're not even here to schmooze. They're here because they got locked out of the radio station. And here they are Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. You're good. You're good. I just can't hear myself. No, I can't. You can't. Oh. Good morning. Good morning. What are you doing? Tweaking the dials here. Okay. Uh, we're, we are live at the, with our little uh, setup yeah. here uh, at the Good Food Festival and Conference at the UIC Forum. And uh, folks are just wandering into the building, and, and our guests are Amber Peterson sitting over there. She's live streaming. Are you live streaming on, uh, she's live streaming on uh, Facebook? Where do they go to find that? The fishmongers. No, no, no. It's okay. I can, I can turn Your on. Mike's not on though. All right. Well, we'll get to that in a second. We're gonna, we're gonna test there's, that, there's Mike. People waving at go us. Go to the fish, the by. fishmongers' wife, and she is streaming live uh, at the event here. And they just opened the doors uh, about six, eight minutes ago. Uh, and uh, we're gonna be here for two hours, broadcasting for an hour, and then the rest of it goes on a podcast, which you can pick up at mikenovak.net. And we are very, very excited to be here. Now, one of the things we want to do is give away a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not sure how to do that at the moment. There's, not, there's very few people to give it to. Anybody interested in a T-shirt out there? Hello? We'll, we'll, do, we'll do that. <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're, they're like, move forward, guys. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we don't bite. Uh, that's, that's all right. We still have uh, all the folks listening on the radio and who will be listening on the podcast. And we've got a jam-packed show very excited to have all these wonderful folks. And, and by the way, we're broadcasting live right now. So if you're listening on 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk, come on down to the UIC Forum at Halstead and Roosevelt in Chicago. And it's free. You just walk in the door. You're going to have a great time. They're expecting a few thousand mm-hmm. people here today. So you probably want to get here early so you have a place to park. Um, that's true. Uh, and there, and there are, and it's like ten bucks. That's yeah. the other thing. If, but mass transportation, mm-hmm. right down you, Halstead, right down Halstead, um, and uh, you can, yeah, the red line drops you off at Roosevelt, and you can take a bus over mm-hmm. there. Uh, there's all kinds of easy ways uh, to get over here. Um, and on the program today, we're going to be talking about everything from soil conservation. Hey, Tim Magner, how are you? Here he is, wondering. Um, and. Um, uh, we're going to be talking about sustainable fish, which I am very excited 
about uh, because I am one of those folks that walks into a store and is always confused. So I guess I have to join um, a CSF. I think that's, yeah, mm -hmm. you're nodding over there. Okay, good, yes. Um, and uh, we're going to have uh, Billy Burdett from Advocates for Urban Agriculture. I know that one of the things he's doing is he is working, because I can see the emails that come across mm -hmm. my desk. Uh, they're revising the composting rules in Chicago, which we'll talk to him about that. We will have the Band of Farmers here, and they are not only just a band in the figurative sense, but also in the literal, literal sense, sense, because they have their show next week uh, at... Uh, I uh, believe the, it's at the Red Line Tap. The Red Line Tap. I don't even know where, where the Red Line Tap is. Probably somewhere off the red line. That's what I'm thinking. I should. Uh, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll, we'll figure out where, where that is. Um, so uh, that's all coming up on the show today. We're very, very excited to have all these people come by. And if, if you're in the building, um, you know, wander over and just sit at a table, sit at a chair, uh, and, and enjoy these uh, conversations. Or I hope you're doing it on the radio. And as I said later, we will be posting all of this at MikeNovak.net. Meanwhile, you can Facebook us. You can Facebook us at The Mike Novak Show. You can tweet to us at Mike now. You could email Mike at MikeNovak.net, but we're not checking email during the show. Too many moving parts. And we hope to be doing some Facebook Live. All right. So tune in. And the Red Line Tap is actually at 7006 North Glenwood with the Heartland Cafe. Oh, okay. Yes, I do know where it is. I've been I, okay. Going by it. All right. Have you checked out the Sugar Beet Food Co-op yet? Uh, they're a new sponsor, relatively new, and we're very happy to have them on board. The Sugar Beet is a community-owned grocery store in Oak Park. However, they are open to everyone, and they feature local and organic products. They're small enough to work with individual growers and producers, but big enough to be full service. And we're giving you a special offer right now, $5 off any purchase of $15 or more when you mention the Mike Novak Show. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op, uh, it's $15 or more, yeah, you get five bucks off. You can do it right now, do it today. Sugar Beet Food Co-op is in Oak Park at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue, and online at Sugar Beet Co-op, that's sugarbeet.coop. All right, stick around, we're at the UIC Forum. Have you ever started vegetable seeds indoors and imagined the lush, gorgeous seedlings you'd plant in your garden? just to be disappointed with the straggly small plants that actually grew, you're a candidate for the Happy Leaf LED Grow Light. It's five times more powerful than a T5 fluorescent bulb. T5s only start seeds and support some growth. But the Happy Leaf Light is an all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums that allows the full range of plant growth. But if it's so good, why is it priced at just over $100? Well, selling directly to consumers allows Happy Leaf to prices within reach of the serious gardener who's seen grow lights that cost several hundred dollars. With the Happy Leaf LED, say goodbye to spindly tomato stalks forever and say hello to strong, lush plants that will make you the envy of the neighborhood. Find out more about Happy Leaf LED light at happyleafled.com or call 815-414-2209. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Enjoy local food all winter long at Winter Farmers Markets, hosted by 12 different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through March. Your purchase of local, sustainably produced food helps support regional farmers 
the markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of diverse faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and to learn more, go to faithinplace.org. Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, creates a direct relationship between you and a local farmer who grows your food. You support a farmer financially up front, and your farmer provides you with local, sustainably raised food during the growing season. This could be a weekly box of vegetables, a monthly share of meat or eggs, and there are many other options. To find your farmer and the CSA that works best for you, go to bandoffarmers.org or check out the Chicagoland CSA Guide in the March issue of Natural Awakenings magazine. This is Sports Director Kevin Burgess. Make sure you catch my sports report every day from 5 to 7 p.m. on French and Friends, sponsored by 1090 Brewing. Welcome back to the UIC Forum, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We are live, broadcasting live. Uh, from the big old hallway, the dead end at the big old hallway, and if you open those doors right behind us, uh, the alarm will go off, uh, and you can get your ba- your uh, your wheat thins, your chips ahoy, and your Cheetos and your Mountain Dew, right here. All right, right in the corner. That's where that's where they put us here today, but that's okay. Uh, very excited to have a couple of folks right here at the table opposite us, and they are Nick Mink, who is president of Sitka Salmon Shares. It's a community-supported fishery dedicated to providing sustainably caught and processed seafood, um, and it's out of Galesburg, Illinois. Now, how do you deal with fish coming out of Galesburg? What is that all about? We'll, we'll talk to him in a second. He's also with Amber Peterson. Uh, now, she's she's a little more um, into the Great Lakes stuff. It's uh, out of Muskegon, and, and I am from Michigan, by the way, Amber. Yay! Woo-hoo! <laughs> Um, and uh, she is with a company called The Fishmonger's Wife. I assume you are The Fishmonger's Wife. I am the wife. You are the wife. Okay, cool. Uh, And they are both here to talk about something that I think a lot of people are interested in and don't often know how to deal with, and that is sustainable fish. Okay. Um, Let's start with Nick, okay, because you're a guy. you're, You're a Midwest guy, right? I'm a Midwest guy. Yep. Okay, okay. So how does a Midwest guy end up getting hooked up with uh, fisheries in Sitka, Alaska, and creating a CSF that is based in Galesburg, in the middle of the country, and it's about seafood? I mean, that that's, there's oxymorons all over the place there. That's a long story, and uh, we have two hours to tell it, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I teach uh, environmental studies at Knox College. Um, and where's Knox and College? That's, Knox College is in Galesburg, Illinois. Okay. And uh, I was doing work in fisheries in Sitka, Alaska. Uh, one of my kind of academic specialties is doing uh, kind of social dimensions of natural resource use. So how can we build better... Um, natural resource systems to benefit local producers. And I happened to move up to Alaska, uh, Sitka, uh, about seven years ago, where I met a group of fishermen who were tired of bad prices, tired of selling fish to a commodity market, um, tired of not knowing who is eating their fish. And And, uh, and who were they selling this to? I mean, They were selling it to large multinational processors in Sitka that send all of their fish uh, to China and Japan to be reprocessed and sold globally. Ah, so so, uh, so they, they they would fish this stuff and then it what goes into 
uh, you know, a, goes into a giant fishing, a giant shipping container, and they never see it again. And they have no idea. And they have no idea where it goes. They have no idea who eats it. And uh, we came up with a business plan that the idea was we we're just going to bring a little bit of fish back to uh, West Central Illinois, <laughs> and that was six years ago. And <laughs> yeah, in in the back of the trunk. In the back of a truck, and and uh, the next thing I you know, I said trunk, we're, but uh, okay, truck works as well. So it's a small. Well, we flew it in originally. Now we now we truck most of our fish in, but. Uh, six years later, we have about 4,000 members in, uh, of our community-supported fishery, many in the Chicagoland area, but also Madison, Milwaukee, uh, and they get a box of fish delivered to their doorstep once a month from one of our 15 fishermen owners in Sitka. So we've gone from uh, supporting four fishermen when we originally started the company in 2011 uh, to uh, having 15 fishermen um, who fish basically exclusively for our, our members here in the Midwest. That's amazing. Now that's going to make them happy too, because mm -hmm. they know that it's going to the CFS. They know uh, who gets. To, they know who eats their fish. Um, they uh, get to fish. One of the problems with fisheries is, you know, uh, small-scale artisanal fishermen uh, have to fish for volume instead of value. So uh, what we've done is set up a system so that our fishermen can take great care of their fish, and they can be paid a, a really fair and stable price. By the members uh, who sign up for the for the fishery. Yeah, w one of the things that I was very interested in hearing some more about was how the actual fishermen get paid and the processors get paid. Because I, I was reading some things talking about maybe they're fishing sustainably, but the people who are handling the fish are still in bad working conditions. Yeah, I mean the fisheries supply chain is a really challenging supply chain. There's a lot of bad parts of it. Uh, the fishermen are not. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Fishermen, fishermen are not paid, uh, especially small-scale fishermen mm -hmm. are not paid what their fish are worth. Um, a lot of the conditions and the processors are uh, are are not um, what we would want as far as what the labor conditions should be. Uh, fish oftentimes changes hands seven or eight times before wow. it gets from. From the fishermen to the consumer, there's a lot of even, brokers, there's even, a lot of wholesalers. Yeah, but I was going to say, but even you uh, have, a, what's the, the lag time between the catch and getting to the table with your company? Well, we flash freeze everything. So, yeah. uh, I mean, the big thing is not about how fast we get it to the Midwest, which is usually anywhere between about two and six weeks. It's about how fat, quickly you get that fish flash frozen. Um, and we're flash freezing that fish anywhere between 45 minutes of it being out of the water and about two days of it being out of the water. Uh -huh. And so you're getting this remarkably fresh, fresh fish and that's kind of been locked in time by a flash freezing process. All right, I don't even know what flash freezing really is. Can you it's explain? Freezing to, we freeze our fish to 60 below zero wow. in 45 minutes. And what that does is it... It sounds um, like some of the dates I've well, been yeah, on in the past. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, a, you know, it's cryogenically frozen. It's like Walt Disney's <laughs> yeah, head. Like I said. I was, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, I don't know, was Walt Disney cryogenically? He was. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, we do what Walt, to our fish what Walt Disney uh, had done to him. I mean, and then he... And but what that means is that we don't and break And he ended the, up in Futurama, didn't he? I we don't, break, our, we yeah, don't yeah. break the cell walls down. And what <laughs> you really do is when you, uh, when, that, when you thaw out that fish, it's this perfect reflection of one of nature's most amazing foods, which I think is wild Alaskan salmon and the other seafood that we catch. Yeah, so it's not mushy like 
the typical farm-raised salmon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, farm-raised salmon is is a whole another thing that we could probably spend a couple hours. Well, we're talking going about, to. We are we are going to get into that because I think uh, talking about. Uh, I'm not sure what everybody's looking for down at this end, but there's like people wandering down the hall thinking that there's maybe it's the Cheetos they're, yes. they're after here. Uh, so that's a that is a, a good start for um, uh, our conversation. So now I want to take it over to Amber because you're not fishing in Alaska or off the coast of Alaska. No. You're fishing in Lake Michigan. Right. My uh, husband's family has actually been in Muskegon fishing since. 1927. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm, and, and I read um, that uh, the number of commercial fishermen in Michigan was at one point 1,000, and now it's like 50. It's not even 50 anymore. Oh, you're kidding. No, there's 52 licenses held by 31 operations or families. Uh, last year, 17 of us actively fished, um, and that is state of Michigan licensed okay. fishers. Okay. So. So what about, do you know, happen to know in the Midwest in general how many commercial fishing operations are out there? Excluding Canada, we actually have the largest population, I believe, Michigan does, of yeah. commercial fishers. Uh, Wisconsin, that would make sense. You're surrounded by the lakes, you know. But if you think about it, 17 fishermen, and we're touching four of the Great Lakes, I mean, that's a commercial fisher about every 175 miles. But I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Um, <laughs> given how we have overfished everything in the world mm -hmm. it's hard for me to get upset about that you know yeah. when I you know my feeling is okay 17 that's about right yeah, yeah. maybe maybe we don't want uh, all of the fish in the Great Lakes sure but that's caught. actually that's actually not the reason why Michigan doesn't have a commercial fishery um, in 1967 the state determined it was time to switch the fishery from a commercial fishery to a sport fishery and so they closed the waters, and several hundred commercial fishermen were put out of business. They narrowed it down to the 52 licenses, uh -huh. and then they started planting salmon and converted us into a sport salmon industry. That's why we don't have active commercial fishing in Michigan. And what, what, what was the logic behind that? There was a couple of things going on. Um, we had had a perfect storm of things happen. Um, sea lamprey came in and they just decimated the lake trout population. We had been fishing hard, most definitely, in the 30s and the 40s. Yeah. We didn't have science to tell us not to. Um, and then we had the alewife population boom happening in yeah. the Great Lakes. Yeah, all the which would have, Now, yeah. Peggy knows about that because yeah. uh, she's on a boat all the time in, in the lake. Yeah. Kind of opposite where you are in Muskegon there. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, I, I interned at the Muskegon Chronicle when I was did in college. Really? Oh, did yeah. you really? Uh -huh. Oh, cool. That's great. Yeah. That's what'd you, awesome. What'd you learn about Muskegon? Uh, I went to Grand Haven a lot. <laughs> Is that what you do for um, for action? That no, but that's what a lot of people do. <laughs> they go to Grand Haven. But but the thing is, okay. So what kind of fish? You know, one of the other thing that when I was reading up about you, uh, Amber, and yeah. doing this out of the Great Lakes, you know, here we've got Nick, and you're dealing with big fish. Okay, mm -hmm. a lot of big fish, and you're dealing yeah. with a lot of small fish. And as you yep. give me the number, because I don't have it right in front of me, that what, after you finish cutting and filleting these, mm -hmm. there's you you take about half of its body weight and toss it. Right. Well, what, Great Lakes whitefish is the number one catch commercial catch in Michigan. That's okay. our fish. Um, you can lose between 45 and 50 percent of the fish from that whole fish that comes out of the water to a fillet. So that's that seems like it makes it a really tough business model. It is. 
very challenging, most definitely. You look to get every penny that you can. A nickel a pound makes a difference uh -huh. when you're talking about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would. Absolutely. Now, you also mentioned that your husband um, is one of the best flayers around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's really good. <laughs> And more than just filleting, but yes. He's yeah, well, very I'm sure he is, but yeah. you know, that's got to be kind of uh, an art as, and a lost art, I would think. It's a it's a lost art. It's so much of a lost art that he's on the boat, of course. So for the processing end, it makes more sense for us to own a fillet machine because we can't. Yeah, and that was one of the new purchases, right? It you, was. You upgraded yep. your business recently, yep. so obviously you're 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 doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We the family, well, we decided to invest, so we opened up a brick and mortar. So with a processing room, so. And and how recent was that? Uh, that was in 2012. Uh, in 2010 is when we started going to the farmers market, and that was the first retail that the family had ever done before it had been strictly just fishermen to the processor. So what led to the idea of going to the farmers market? I mean, you know, um, we've already talked to to Dick, and he knows uh, yeah. that this is one of the ways to go. Do you uh, do farmer's markets yeah, we too? we do farmer's markets. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of fishermen, it's about access to markets. Yeah, yeah. access to a market. Muskegon has a really great old farmer's market. Um, I had a baby in March of 2010, and I was working a retail job and wanted to change. So I decided to open my own business. <laughs> so, so you weren't gutting fish at the time. You know, I spent the first five years of my marriage in denial about my <laughs> husband's <laughs> profession. Oh boy. Um, I went to college to be a writer, and I had plans to go move and change the world out of the Midwest, but I fell in love and found myself in Muskegon. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I thought I was going to be a big radio star myself, and yeah. then here I am in a big old empty hall here. So. <laughs> the pussy machine. <laughs> by, the, by the Cheetos machine, yeah. <laughs> um, we... Uh, we there's, there's, there's still so much uh, to ask you guys. Uh, we're going to be breaking here in just a couple of minutes. Yep. But let, maybe let's get started on that co conversation about sustainability. I mean, you were talking about the Great Lakes. Let's, let's go back to, um, to Nick for a second yep. and, and Nick about preserving the populations of fish. And I, how, how do we do that? Uh, and I guess one of the ways is that we don't let the big commercial guys just sweep everything up in a big net. Do your guys the people that you employ, do they fish in a different way? Or is that still the same thing? Yeah, no, no. I mean, our, our fishermen use um, the what the, the called gear types. So there's a bunch of different ways you can catch fish. And uh, usually the most efficient ways to catch fish are the most environmentally destructive. And those are the yeah. big nets. Right. Um, all of our fishermen use a hook and line gear type. Um, which is uh, you can either troll, so you pull that fish through, the, you pull those hooks through the water, or a long line, so you set the, if you set a line at the bottom, a long line at the bottom of the ocean. And uh, by using hook and line uh, capture technology, you really minimize the impact on the environment. Because one of the big problems with uh, large nets is that they catch a bunch of fish that you really don't want to catch, and then those fish die, and you have to throw them back in. Um, and they're also catching, um, you know, sometimes. Uh, tens of thousands of pounds in a single net, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds in a single net. And so the fishermen And, and, owners, and everything yeah, gets caught up And in everything there. gets yeah, caught up. Yeah. So the fishermen owners of Sitka Salmon Shares really are dedicated to um, fisheries uh, harvest uh, gear types that are really the lowest environmental imp impact that you can, you can have. And that's generally hook and line or, or very small gill nets. Okay. And, and, and in about a minute, taking that to freshwater. Right. 
what are the techniques and how do we keep from overfishing? Sure. Well, in Michigan, we're all live trap net based. Um, that means that whatever we catch is caught live and we can return bycatch to the water to live another day. Um, there is some gillnet fishing going on in Wisconsin. Some of the tribal fishermen can do it, but it's by using selective twine size that they're able to control what they're catching. Uh -huh. so, and they can take a variety of species, so the goal is to not have anything caught that's going to go to waste. Yeah. All right. Well, that that's Amber Peterson, the fishmonger's wife. She is literally the fishmonger's wife. Mm -hmm. And Nick Mink from Sitka Salmon Shares. They're going to stick around for a, a little bit longer because I want to get into the idea of uh, how do we know our fish is safe. And I think that is the issue that everybody uh, right. is interested in. Fish washing versus actually safe. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, who doesn't appreciate a little extra for their hard-earned cash? That's a good reason to pick up the March-April issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It contains the Resource Guide, a comprehensive magazine. Oh, by the way, here's our photographer. You pose, <laughs> Peggy. Peggy's holding the uh, streaming live. and. Uh, or, uh, and we are streaming live on yep. Facebook. Did we mention that? I, don't uh, think I said we would be. We've had four people uh, watching us. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> That's good. Streaming uh, live on Facebook, so tune in. Anyway, back to the resource guide. It's a comprehensive magazine uh, that, uh, or magazine-let that has information about horticultural businesses and institutions all over the area, garden centers, greenhouses, floors, tools, equipment, classes, clubs, books and publications, everything. And you don't pay a dime extra for this valuable resource. Uh, then there's my column on the inside back page of each issue. Uh, they should charge less for exposing you to it, but as you know, life isn't fair. <laughs> Chicagoland Gardening Magazine on newsstands everywhere, or go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. The Mike Novak Show from the Good Food Festival at the Forum, UIC. Come on down. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. 
Don't miss more than 20 breathtaking gardens from top designers at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show presented by Mariano's March 18 through 26 at Navy Pier. Enjoy the huge marketplace, cooking demos, kids' activity garden, and more. On Monday, March 20th at 1230, attend Mike Novak's free seminar, Debunking Garden Myths, and see Mike and Peggy broadcast live from the show on 1590 WCGO on Saturday, March 25th from 10 to noon. Go to chicagoflower.com. What is this, anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the UIC Forum in more or less downtown Chicago. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Peggy Malecki is here with me, and we should mention briefly, because we just heard it in the, the uh, promo that was running on the station, uh, that we will be at the Chicago Flower and mm-hmm. Garden Show next Saturday. So it's back-to-back remote broadcasts, and uh, we went there to the big gala last night, and it was a lot of fun, and had um, they had entertainment and food and drink and got to see the gardens and yep. it's all fresh and lovely and next week we'll uh, talk about it. Yeah, Tony Abrascato and his team did a great job and um, yeah, lots of pretty gardens down there and educational ones too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of everything and that's what it but it's all about and I actually want it to snow again this week just so <laughs> folks have a reason to go to the garden show. This this 65 degrees in February is uh, wearing thin. That and the uh, on, giant tractor they have there. Uh, right, the giant tractor. And my friend uh, Greg Stack, from, uh, who, who's from Ted's Greenhouse and who used to be at UI, um, University of Illinois Extension, uh, with his, we, what were the, the kids, in the garden, the, the I, I forget what he called them, go, they're goofy garden yeah. kids, you yeah, know? Yeah, they're garden, they're, they're like, yeah, these, these figures with plants growing out of them. Yes, <laughs> plants, uh, plants in your pants, yeah, okay? That's how we can describe it. Plants in your pants. I'll have to post that photo. And uh, I want to let folks uh, know you can also tweet to us. I see that Mary Taylor has tweeted this morning and Tim Magner. Tim Magner was sitting right here in front and took a photo, and he popped it up on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at Mike Now. And we actually have handles for uh, all of our guests, like... Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, if you, well, if you want to follow Nick Mink, um, you can go to Sitka Salmon Shares on Facebook. Um, and on Twitter, it's at Sitka Shares, S-I-T-K-A Shares. Amber, you can go on Facebook to The Fishmonger's Wife. And on Twitter, it's Fishmonger Wife. No oh, yes. S. All right, so what's that all about? Did somebody else have the fishmonger's wife already? Someone does. No. I don't know who it is. If I can ever find them or get them to respond to my tweets, I would really like to talk to that person. (laughs) Hey, look, I got to tell you, I couldn't even get Mike Novak. Okay, I couldn't get my own name. Somebody had the Mike Novak Twitter, so it's Mike now, which it turns out I, I actually like better. I think Mike now, and uh, here he so, is, Mike now. Yeah, so uh, you can contact us there on Facebook at the Mike Novak Show on Twitter at, at Mike Now. Write Mike at MikeNovak.net and uh, come on down to the Good Food Festival and conference at the UIC Forum uh, at the corner of 
Halstead in Roosevelt, and it's free. So uh, sitting across from us again are Nick Mink uh, from Sitka Salmon Shares and Amber Peterson from the Fishmonger's wife in Muskegon, Michigan. All right, so the question we asked before we went to the break is, I like, I love salmon, okay? I, I ha you should know, I had a home in the Pacific, uh, vacation home in the Pacific Northwest, all right, for about 17 years. I got used to really, really good salmon, and um, I got used to fresh Dungeness crab, like, you know, harvested the day before kind of stuff. You get really spoiled when, when you're there. Um, but I knew that it hadn't been farm-raised, and I wasn't worried about the kinds of things that happen to those um, seafood creatures. Um, how do people protect themselves? What a, obviously, one of the ways to do it is to join a CSF, right? That would be a, a place to start. And, and but how many CFSFs are there in the Midwest, Nick? Uh, one. <laughs> You're it. There's two. This is it. Where we have cornered the market on CSFs in the Midwest. Wow. Okay. Well, well that's by but, accident. But that's a no good. No one else would want to do what what we're doing. Well, why wouldn't they? Well, I mean, is it uh, just too hard what, to, to well, what the uh, model is the model not? I mean, your uh, work it's working for you. You're uh, you're, yeah, you're succeeding. I mean, a, a lot of what we do is setting up a very complex and expensive, uh, highly capital intensive supply chain to make sure we get perfect traceable fish um, from Alaska to uh, to the Midwest, and that's I think that's been our greatest and, and challenge. the way you get it perfectly traceable is because you know the fishermen, you know how it gets loaded, you know how it gets we, here. Yeah, and, we have our we own the entire supply chain. All right, um, which, and not everybody can do that. And certainly if you go into a grocery store, you don't know who owns the supply chain. So is, is the answer never to shop at a grocery store? I, I mean, you know, how do you make sure you get great fish? I would say know your fishermen. Um, and it's just you, like if, know your farmer, yeah, CSA. If you, if you are buying a fish and you don't know who caught it, um, I think you probably uh, should look elsewhere. Um, I think, you know, eco labels, and you guys probably know about eco labels, the best choice or the good alternatives, I think those are a great place to start, mm -hmm. um, certainly. Uh, but I think uh, knowing who caught your fish, knowing who how your fish was caught, knowing what fishery that fisherman was participating in um, is, I think, much more important nowadays. But, it, but than okay, I'm going to stop you right the there because label. who knows that? I mean, it's so. How do you find folks who, okay, a mom who's out shopping for the family and she wants to get some fish, she's not, she's going to look at the box and, and it's going to say sustainably harvested or something or sustainably raised and she's going to go, good enough, throw it in the cart. I think it, that's, it's a reflection of how far our supply chain needs to come. Okay. Um, that, I think we need to do a lot of work. Um, with uh, traceability, transparency in the supply chain, the, the seafood supply chain. I think one of the best ways to, to go about it is, you know, the internet has uh, created um, dozens of new options for knowing who, who caught your fish and where it was caught and how it was caught. And there are uh, dozens, if not hundreds of fishermen and dozens of fishing communities around the United States that are doing a really nice job um, with handling, with sustainability, and they're increasingly going to the internet to find ways to market their product. So what would, if you went to the internet to do this, what's, what would you, where would you advise to go first other than your own, out, and by the way, do you, uh, Deliver in the Chicago area? Yeah, we deliver to the Chicago area. I mean, our Chicago is our, our, our largest marketplace. 
Ah, um, I, you know, I, you're going to hear from me. Right, well, you're going to get a call. We're excited. We're All right, you are going to get a call. Stop by his booth. Uh, you bet stop I by, will. We have a booth here. We have a real live Alaskan fisherman who's come here just for Well, this you look like a real I live Alaskan. I look like a, I yeah. just play it's one scr- on he's TV. He's got the scraggly beard. <laughs> yes, you, you, you're from Central Casting. You know, you could make this work. <laughs> Uh, all right, so th- th- that's where we start. You get you go to a place like uh, Sitka Salmon Shares, or you go find another CSF, but they're so hard to find in the Midwest, you have to then do some other kind of research uh, and find a place that's selling sustainable seafood. Just so you're, what you're saying is, do your homework. A lot of you, you still, as a consumer, you still have to do a lot of homework to get sustainable traceable. I mean, it's a lot harder to do that seafood. than it is to get the vegetables because there's lots of CSAs now and now you know where stuff is grown. You can it's a lot easier to know your farmer than it is to know your fisherman. Yes. Okay. So if you're somebody though who's going to a grocery store and you're not able for whatever reason to have a CSF, are there some fish that are more sustainable than others that you should be looking for? I mean any fish that's gonna be harvested in Alaska um, you know, Alaska has some of the healthiest fish stocks in uh, the world, mm-hmm. has some of the best management in the world, and, um, you know, I think if you're going to just look at, you know, you're going to go to a grocery store, um, if you look at wild Alaskan salmon um, or any wild Alaskan seafood, you're going you're gonna to be taking a good first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we always try to get wild Alaskan, but I, I wonder about that myself. When I look at it, I go... Do, can I trust this? Yeah, you know? is it really wild? And that's and that's one of the biggest problems in the seafood supply chain is that wild Alaskan salmon that's been harvested correctly is is expensive, and um, there are, uh, have been study after study that suggests that there are um, far too many retailers and restaurants that are swapping out uh, farmed salmon for wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was a study about 18 months ago by a nonprofit called Oceana, and I think they suggested that one out of every three fish that was labeled uh, as wild Alaskan salmon in Chicago was actually farmed. Ooh. Wow. And that's, and that's the fear I have. All right, let's go to Amber about that. Now, my, the flip side, or, or let's just come at it from a different uh, direction. If you're fishing in the Great Lakes, the first thing I think of is mercury. Sure. And other contaminants, but that's a key. So how, how do you deal with that? So the thing to remember is that we've seen industry going off the Great Lakes, and the Great Lakes are cleaner now than they've ever been, thanks to cleanup initiatives. Not for long, though. Well, that's all, that's all going to change, as a, you know. It's that's like, a five-hour conversation. <laughs> I know it is. And we need some beer here for that, too. Yeah, we, yeah we no kidding. We need a lot of beer for yeah. that. <laughs> a lot of tweeting. Um, no. So At 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> But continue. <laughs> yeah. So, but when we look at the Great Lakes, we're actually mercury isn't our biggest concern. It's PVC levels. And test after test being done is showing that the levels are decreasing across the lake. So, moderation, wide variety is always the recommendation. Um, and then don't. But, but there's nothing you personally can do as a, a fisherman or a, a fishing uh, company mm-hmm. to deal with that. I mean, you yeah. can't test them when That's, you catch. Right, and but we do have the um, CORA, which is the Chippewa Ottawa Research Resource Authority. Mm-hmm. Um, they've actually done testing to show and prove that we are well with the low levels. We're fine. I know everybody gets scared about the health department issuing theirs. Yeah. Um, the difference between like a Michigan health warning and the Wisconsin one is really just the standard they use. Michigan uses the World Health Organization, which is intended for people who 
are subsistence fishing. They live next to a creek. That's the fish they fish in. That's the creek they fish in every single day and eat every single meal out of. That's not the typical consumer in Michigan. Well, I want to thank you both for being here. Uh, And again, with Michigan Fish, obviously, do your homework with, if you're buying it out of the ocean, do your homework. uh, Try a CSF. Um, Know your fishermen. I guess, just like know your farmer. And uh, if folks want more information, they can go to Sitka Salmon Shares on Facebook or The Fishmonger's Wife on Facebook. And we've got information at MikeNovak.net, as always. And they can check out the March issue of Natural Awakenings for Nick's article. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, it, and it's in there. Thank you. Thank you both for, for being you. here. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yep, thank you. Have you checked out the Sugar Beet Food Co-op yet? The Sugar Beet, it's a community-owned grocery store in Oak Park open to everyone, featuring local and organic products. They're small enough to work with individual growers and producers, but big enough to be full service. And we're giving you a special offer to give them a try. Right now, get $5 off any purchase of $15 or more when you mention the Mike Novak Show. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op is in Oak Park at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue, and online at sugarbeet.coop. That's sugarbeet.coop. All right, when we come back... Uh, the guy who's usually here at this time, it's uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, and uh, you're welcome to come down the, to the UIC Forum. We're going to be here for another hour after uh, 11 o'clock. Hope you stop by. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Join us. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be... Perambulating vegetables. We are being stocked by stocks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Magazine. And for seven years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier, happier lives. Each month, our readers enjoy new information about integrative health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids and pets, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs, or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Chicagoans use your blue carts to recycle. Bottles, flattened boxes, jugs with the lids on, tin and aluminum cans, juice cartons, and mail. No plastic bags, including store bags, no greasy pizza boxes, styrofoam, disposable coffee cups, light bulbs, napkins, electronics, or shredded paper. Put your items loose in the blue cart and not in a plastic bag. Visit RecycleByCity.com Chicago and let's make Chicago beautiful and green. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Oh, 
Who on the radio? We are live on the radio from UIC Forum. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki at the Good Food Festival and Conference. We just got food. served food. Oh, look at this. Oh, Thank you. Uh, how do you pronounce your name? Rodlin? Yeah, it's Rodlin. Rodlin, yeah. Paul. And uh, what's the name of your company? Hellshire Foods. And uh, we are in Florida, but we wanted to bring you new flavors. This is uh, plant-based. Uh, this is great. Uh, it's a sweet potato pudding made uh, with uh, coconut milk and banana. Wow. And we drizzle a chocolate sauce. The chocolate sauce have uh, coffee in it. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. And then the coconut is uh, raw coconut, um, direct origin from Dominican Republic. Wow. So, so, so you, got, you, got, you got three drizzles? One, one of them is a coffee, you say? meal, all plant-based, but this one, this is the Jamaican jerk, spicy. Oh, the are they all are they all spicy? Y- yes, a little bit. Uh, this <laughs> one is um, pineapple and ginger, Okay. a good savory sauce, and then uh, this is a guava jerk. Okay. It goes well with... Um, that was my nickname in high school, by the way, guava pork, jerk. Yeah. Yeah. It goes well with pork or chicken wings, great appetizer, and this is the cake. It's a pineapple jerk, but it's the scotch bonnet that is really hot. Okay, I will avoid scotch that. Scotch bonnet peppers I, I, are very hot. I'm, I'm avoiding that. Well, thank you so much. It's very kind. So thank you. I know you guys are busy. Please try it. And, uh, of course, if someone wants uh, our product, we are looking for distributors. We want to get a space here in uh, Chicago. Okay. Uh, Hellshire Foods. With S and it's dot com, hellshirefoods.com. Well, thank you so much. It's Hellshire Foods, H E L L S H I R E foods.com. All right, check it out. Thank, thank you, you so much, Rodley. Okay. And uh, I believe Rick DeMaio is on the line. Rick, are you there? We lost Rick. We lost Rick. <laughs> well, okay, go ahead and try to get him back there, uh, Ben. Uh, we lost Rick. We had him there for a second, but uh, so should I? Should I taste yeah, this give, sweet, give sweet potato there. chocolate thing? All right, here we go. Always a good thing on radio. I know. I feel like I should be Facebooking live this. Mm, but. You should be. But it's very good. It is very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, a, I'm afraid of the hot sauce. I'm, a, I'm just terrified well, the, of it. The ginger one, though. Let me try the ginger one. Let's try that it's a little bit. Ginger. Of, it's a little bread. A little drizzle, as she said. Boom. All right. Just a touch here because I could get myself in trouble. That's pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. It's a little spicy. Not bad, though. Not as bad as the... Um, See, Rick probably dr- jumped into his car to come down to get this. That's why we lost him. Quite possible. And now I just realized i got to wash okay. it down with something. <laughs> with some coffee. Yes, we are at the Good Food Festival enjoying good food. Mm-hmm. And trying to get uh, okay, Rick to my old. Oh, Yay! You there, Rick? Rick? Oh, boy. This makes for good radio. <laughs> hey, at least it's not my my problem here, I, or my mistake. I'm not the one. Uh, and I'm not blaming you, Ben. Back at the studio, Ben Boquist is back there helping us out. Uh, do you have any idea what's happening, Ben? You can talk to us here on the air. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, he's, he's not going live. One second. <laughs> is that like an attitude problem? Is that what we're talking about here? Well... 
There's a couple of other things happening today as well as this event. Yeah, let us know. Scarce. And just and Rick, if you get online, just jump in. Yeah, just jump in. So if you're out in the Lyle area, Scarce is having a big recycling event of uh, books and household electronics and batteries and Christmas lights and all sorts of things out in Lyle. And also up in Libertyville. Isn't it a little late for the Christmas lights? Well, no. Well, mine are still sitting on the front porch. Yeah. The ones that aren't working. And mine are sitting whatever. <laughs> so so. You, if you're in the Libertyville area, also today is the uh, Green... Lake County Green Congregation's uh, big Earth Festival. Okay, well we got. All right, we well apologize, apologize to Rick for us, and uh, we will. Uh, well, now we have something to shoot for for next week to uh, fix for uh, what's going to be happening at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. We apologize we didn't get Rick DeMaio on today, but it will happen next week. We've only got a couple more minutes left here anyway. And by the way, you were mentioning Scarce. Yeah. They're also working with the Band of Farmers. So we will have the Band of Farmers on in the second hour mm -hmm. here. And we should let you know that uh, uh, you won't be able to hear it live on uh, WCGO uh, for the second hour, but it will be on the podcast. It will be on MikeNovak.net, so you'll be able to get the whole show. And we got some more great guests coming up uh, in the in the second hour. We'll just parade them through here, and uh, they will be online. And uh, Band of Farmers is going to be working again with Scarce on April eighth. They're yes. having uh, what is the event? Do you remember what that was? I know they're having an event. So I tell you what, we'll just ask them in the second hour. <laughs> yeah, well, you you were dragging out the... Well, I was, I was talking about the Green Living Fair, which is the Green Congregations of Lake County from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Libertyville Civic Center, and it's free. Mm -hmm. They're having a little bit of recycling happening out there as well, over 40 uh, exhibitors, environmental groups. There's speaker forums. Um, you can bring bikes there to recycle. Really? Bike parts, styrofoam blocks, CDs, DVDs, eyeglasses, Christmas lights again. Oh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't make fun because I still have my Christmas lights up outside. I don't turn oh. them on, but they're still up. Um, so, uh, and there are some in boxes that didn't work that mm -hmm. I was meaning to recycle. Yeah, so. and I, I tested them all when I took them down, and the ones that aren't working are sitting in a big pile in the front porch. Okay. So, so... So we're just like we're just like normal normal people who put up Christmas lights and then leave them uh, up or or put them in a box someplace. So, um, uh, so we talked about GMOs a little bit. There's something else going on three o'clock today out in Wheeling. So if you're up in the Wheeling area, Purple Sprout Cafe has a talk uh, all about GMOs. How do you what are they first off, and how do you find them in food and what are some of the best things that you can do to avoid genetically modified organisms? Uh -huh. Which and people more and more are trying to avoid. And that's, again, stuff we're talking about here today at the Good Food Festival. And something that's happening next week that we won't be able to go to because we will be at um, Flower, and Garden the Show. Flower and Garden Show is the Chicago Community Gardeners Association oh, yeah. is having their uh, gathering next week. And I'm scrolling here uh, just to find out. Well, the, one of the best ways the, you can find out is to go to their Facebook page, Chicago Community Gardeners Association. And I know that next, and I think it's pretty much all day. I just don't know where it is. I'll find out where it is. And we can post that. And we can post it and, uh, and, and announce it in the second hour. So if, uh, if folks are interested in that, uh, and then they, oh, uh, here's the annual uh, conference registration. Let's see if it's here, because we just got a few seconds left. La-di-da-di-da. -di -da. Here we are. 
go to uh, chicagocommunitygardens.org also if you want. It's uh, not telling me exactly where it is, so I'll look it up uh, and we'll get to it in the second hours. All right, we'll be back with the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around. If you live in the upper Midwest and you're already jonesing to plant stuff, you need to get your hands on a grow light from Happy Leaf LED. At 18 inches, it's small but mighty. You can start three conventionally sized flats of seeds in a roughly three by two foot area. You can even grow plants that flower and produce fruit. How does Happy Leaf do it? The light is tuned for all plant growth, including flowering plants. You name it, this USA-made LED light can grow it. Your indoor garden will be limited only by your imagination. It's already won the 2017 Direct Gardening Association Green Thumb Award. With the Happy Leaf LED, there's no reason you can't have your own delicious, fresh, leafy greens year-round. Not to mention all of the herbs you need for any recipe. Find out more about the Happy Leaf LED light at happyleafled.com or call 815-414-2209. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Live from the 13th Annual Good Food Festival and Conference at the UIC Forum in Chicago, it's the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're broadcasting live, 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 live. Well, actually, there is our own. We've got our own echo we here. We have our in, own echo. We're broadcasting live from the Pepsi and Cheeto machine. And from the, at the UIC Forum. And we're happy to have uh, a couple of guests here to start the second hour of the program. Uh, one is sort of uh, almost by accident. Uh, perhaps you want to explain how that happened, Peggy. Well, we have Jennifer Filipiak, and she brought with her Barry Fisher, who is with the USDA Soil Health, and um, with two heads being better than one here on discussion, we're to lead into our panel discussion on soil health. That's right. And so what, what is going to be the focus of this panel that you guys are, are, are doing today? We're going to talk about um, the importance of healthy soil for producing good food, um, good, healthy food that is, um, doesn't have external cost to the environment and um, get, is sustainable for multiple generations, the same soil producing food for, for many, many years. Um, and there's ways that you can actively manage your soil to, um, to be rebuilding itself while you're growing food. Uh, one of the things that you guys do, and, and I was uh, looking this up, uh, when uh, I was uh, preparing for it. And I've got my cheat sheet here because uh, we have so many guests today. I'm trying to, uh, to keep track of all of them. But you're with the American Farmland Trust. Mm-hmm. And they, you haven't been around all that long, 1980. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like it might be a long time, but it's, it's not really. Um, and I, I love all the things that have happened with the American Farmland Trust and just that short time, as you say on your website, sounding the alarm about farmland loss. You have the Farmland Information Center, which is a resource for farmers and communities. Um, You help the uh, passage of a national farmland preservation program in the 1996 Farm Bill. You help 27 states and numerous communities authorize programs 
that protect farm and ranch land from development. Uh, you worked on the 2008 Farm Bill. Uh, it, it goes on and on. That's a lot of great stuff. Let's start with the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill, it seems to me, is always kind of problematic, uh, is one way to put it, because there are entrenched interests in, sure. uh, and, and, you know, and it's something that folks who are in, uh, believers in sustainability have, have trouble uh, affecting. It's like turning around the Titanic. Once the thing got started, it, 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 it sort of runs its own course. So. How much effect have you had actually on uh, uh, farm bills uh, over the years and, and in what areas? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's important to understand the farm bill is huge and it covers a lot of different programs. And primarily the programs that we're working in is it's called the conservation title. So it's the funding um, that USDA provides um, for conservation work on farmland, farmland protection. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but the largest funder of conservation practices on private land, privately owned land in the United States, is the conservation title of the Farm Bill. It's from the USDA. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of money <laughs> that goes to essentially help farmers um, either they can set aside land for protection purposes if it's not really good producing land. They can um, incorporate you know, sustainable practices with financial assistance and technical assistance through the Farm Bill. So. We don't act alone uh, when we work with the Farm Bill. We work with a lot of our partners, and we lobby just like everybody else does uh, for um, our... <laughs> and there are a lot of people out there doing <laughs> yeah, that, right? Yeah. And uh, so what we do is, I mean, we really just work with the different branches of government, and we try and figure out what makes the most sense in terms of implementing policy. And, you know, we have experience on the ground in a lot of different places working with farmers in the United States. and. We can kind of take that experience and bring it into the beltway and say, listen, this is what's working on the ground. This would work a lot better if we make this little policy tweak. Uh -huh. um, and so we'll push for things like that. And, and we're also, we work with all the different agencies of government and all of our partners to figure out what's realistic. You know, we would love to see funding for the conservation title double. We would love to see that. Yeah. We know that's not possible. So, you know, this year we're working on, let's maintain what we have. Let's just not lose <laughs> you know, anything. And, and, I, want, I, and, I, and I, want, I actually do want to get into that in a second. We need to take a short break. Uh, and when we come back, we want to continue this conversation. Barry Fisher is here as well, and I, and I want to uh, get him into it. It's the Mike Novak Show with Becky Malecki. We're broadcasting live from the UIC Forum at the Good Food Festival and Conference. Come on down. Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health and lifestyle coaches, yoga classes, green landscapers, even home improvement and energy efficiency experts. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies each month from more than 1,100 locations throughout the city and suburbs because they know it's the best source for information about healthy, green living in Chicago. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more.
Welcome back to the UIC Forum and the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we are happy to have a bunch of people talking about good food because this is the Good Food mm-hmm. Festival and Conference at the UIC Forum. And sitting at the green table opposite us with your very uh, own green tabletop. Uh-huh. As opposed to the green room, it's the green table. It's the green table. Uh, we've got Barry Fisher, who's the regional soil health team leader for the uh, NRCS in Indiana, part of the USDA, and that is the Natural Resources Conservation Service. How do you pronounce your last name, Jennifer? It's Filippiak. Filippiak. Okay. With the accent on the second syllable. Right. Filippiak. Unless you're Polish, then it's Filippiak. That's what I'd seen, and yeah. that's why I asked. I always you ask because... Novak and right, Malecki here. I, 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 I say Novak. Novak, and it says Nowak there, okay? Um, and uh, Jennifer... Filippiak is Associate Midwest Director for the American Farmland Trust, uh, and we were talking just a second ago about turning around the Titanic. And we will get to soil in a second, because I actually do want to talk about soil. Um, But here we are. You sound like you're in preservation mode at the moment. It's like, let's... Let's not make things any worse than they are. It, you know, and, I, and, I, and, and a lot of people are like that, especially, especially people in conservation working in the environment. Mm-hmm. Even though no budget has been passed, and I think it's really important to, to keep saying that, that we're at a point where nothing's happened yet. Mm-hmm. It's just been proposals. The proposals don't look good, but there's a Congress that has to, to do all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned before that farm bills tend to lurch from five-year period to five-year period, uh, and remain remarkably the same. Um, it's really hard to make a dent in it, but you said you've managed to do some of that. Uh, so the next farm bill, is that 2018? 2018. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're gearing up for that fight, whatever that fight is. Mm-hmm. And you, meant, you hinted before the break that it, it's going to be about maintaining what you have now, mm-hmm. not sliding back. So is, is, that, is that the focus, or is there anything else that you, you'd like to say about that? Um, you know, as far yeah, I mean that that really is going to be our focus. Is you know we we bring farmers to D.C. to tell legislatures about how valued these programs are and how it helps them. Um, and so it's you know the conservation title and the funding that's under that is very popular and it helps a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah, this year we want to maintain the levels we have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want. I, I, I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot here, but you know this. I is... could say too that my I am actually a wildlife biologist, and I really focus in on the conservation side of our work. Yeah, and so I'm not the policy right people in the Beltway. You that do are the pushing... fun side of things. <laughs> yeah. But 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 are we at a point where even the the, the biologists have to get a, on board, and you you have to lobby even if behind the scenes? If, if well, I, I need to bring the message from the farmers <laughs> up the food chain. You know, I need to. Yeah. I need you're to doing the education. Up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So let let's get to soil, okay? Because that's what you guys are talking about today. And I always like talking about soil. And I want and I, and and if I had to ask, let's start with Barry here. If I asked you what has changed about the soil uh, on farmland in the United States in the last twenty five years, what would you say? How would you answer that? Well, there's been a lot of things <clears throat> changed. One, technology has, has ramped up rapidly. Farmers are using uh, technology out there to manage their resources, to manage their inputs uh, that, that was only known to, you know, uh, m- much, much higher technology fields 
prior. Uh, we have, you know, the ability today to use precision agriculture, put every nutrient exactly where it goes, every seed exactly where it goes. Yes. And, and, and we can do that with such efficiency. I, I heard somebody, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Somebody told me the other day something that just kind of blew my mind, and it was about uh, when farmers go out on, on the, and the equipment they use, and it's so sophisticated these days that, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, that it, it can actually kind of detect um, moisture levels in the soil and, and where a seed is likely to be more viable and, and nutrient levels so that where you need to drop fertilizer. So maybe you don't need to drop it here, but you, you would drop it here because the nutrient level has gone wow. down. And that just sounds like, and, and they're using it, you know, with GPS and that sort of thing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You mean you're not out there with a the little bag of seed and you're, you're throwing it in the soil? Yeah, we're re- varying the rate of fertilizer, seed, uh, all other inputs as we go across the field based on mapping and, and global positioning technology. Same same stuff that they guide the space shuttle to the to the spa- you know to the uh, wherever you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> same technology. So that that's probably been the biggest single change. Lately, though, uh, some of the things that, that Jennifer and I are working with farmers on is we're starting to manage the soil and having a realization among a lot of really top farmers that that soil is a living ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And if we change our whole management to manage for a living ecosystem, then that's how we're gaining a new level of sustainability that, that maybe we didn't know how to do before. Well, Peggy, what's the motto of the Mike Novak show? That one regarding to biology? It's the biology, stupid. Right. Uh, that's <laughs> We like to use that. Uh, I, I've been saying that for years um, now. It's the biology, stupid. Uh, and it's not because we had everything wrong, but for a while we went down the NPK road and thought, that was it. That's all you need to f- figure out. And there's, there's biology in the soil. And, and, and if you know anything about the soil food web and how things hold together and and all that activity down there, you realize you have to feed those organisms, Mm -hmm. micro and macro, all of that. And you're the scientist (laughs) here, Jennifer. And um, so how are we doing that better or are we doing it better? Um, You know, I like to tell people that soil, research on soil and soil biology and those cycles and how all that functions, it's a new frontier. It's new science. There's, we don't know a lot uh, about what's going on in this world. But that's actually a good thing to get yeah. to the point where we say, we, you know, 150 years ago, we thought, oh, we, we, we've got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And now, 150 years later, we're going, oh, we really don't know much mm-hmm. about this. I think that's actually kind of healthy, don't you? Well, it's super exciting. You yeah. know, it's just a super exciting field of research. And, um, you know, with the DNA mapping technology that we have, we can actually look at the soil. We can, you know, electron microscopes. We didn't have those, you know, many, many years ago. Yeah. And so we can see things in the soil that we never could see before. And we can, we can identify and describe these mm-hmm. microscopic organisms and start to map out what are they actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're finding... You know, the research now, we're just finding that such amazing things are happening in the soil if you manage it in such a way to, um, like you said, to feed it, to make sure the sun's energy is getting into the life under the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it, it really is just incredible, this really fascinating new frontier. Yeah. So as a lot of the soils have been depleted, is the science getting to the point where we're figuring out more effective and efficient ways to replenish it? it yeah. 
we're, we're figuring out how to rebuild the soil, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's um, scientists out there that think we could actually build the soil to become even more productive than it was pre-settlement before we started turning it over. Uh, and so, so that's how do the, we know what that was, though, pre-settlement? You know, what we, what we know... Gotcha. Yeah. Get the scientist now. <laughs> what I can tell... What, what I would say to that is we, we know what characteristics mm -hmm. of healthy soil are. Okay. You know, we know what to look for to see. And so we can compare soils and say this soil is healthier and more capable, you know, more rich, uh, capable of growing food than this yeah. soil is. And what would have and been we in can, the prairie soil? And we can improve that soil with management <laughs> practices and take the same soil and compare it over time and, and watch its improvements and see what that's happening. And we can then compare that to, we still do have remnant prairie soils here in the Midwest, and we can compare that to those soils and we can see that. The other thing we can do is um, you know, we have hedgerows. We haven't always farmed fence row to fence row. We, we have these hedgerows that are relatively undisturbed soil. So we can look at that soil as well uh, as, as like a potential. Okay. Cool. Um, so and I've, and I've had a guy on my show who, who talks about uh, and advocates for 21st century hedgerows. He's saying we need to bring back some of the biodiversity. And one of the ways to do it in a kind of non-threatening way is a hedgerow because a lot of different plants can grow under there and, and a lot of critters can go there, whether it's birds, insects, mammals, you name it. It can all, it can happen in a hedgerow. And one of the great mistakes he thinks we've made is to replace the hedgerows with fences. Uh, and that, that maybe just th this simple kind of technique would, would, would prove to be useful. Barry, do you have any thoughts on that? Right. We... <clears throat> We use fence rows. We use some of the native prairie areas. We can go back and we can see what that diversity does for us from a soil function standpoint. And so one of our strategies is uh, to get that diversity back, to get some of the pollinators back, some of the beneficial organisms back, having an area, uh, a conservation buffer, if you will, where we're growing a diverse mix of perennial plants that, that provide a habitat for those organisms and, and, and help kind of kind of repopulate find a, a, a sanctuary for those those organisms to live and so the other thing we're doing is we're mimicking that to some degree to what degree we can uh, within our production system we're bringing diversity back out onto the land in other words we're trying to get rot crop rotations that are a little more diverse than just corn and soybeans mm -hmm. we're adding cover crop mm -hmm. mixes that are far more diverse and they're they're growing right along and so that diversity we can pull out into the cropland and get some of those benefits. That's Barry Fisher from the Natural Resources Conservation Service of the USDA. We've also got Jennifer uh, Filipiak uh, from American Farmland Trust. We have just a couple of minutes here. Uh, you were talking about some of those techniques. What, what has been the effect of no-till, and is it still something that uh, is being looked at as a way of conserving some of our soil? Jennifer, uh, <laughs> you were nodding, uh, so I'm going to I'm going yeah, right well, to we you. We should both be nodding. <laughs> Barry actually has made his career of helping farmers um, do no-till effectively. Well, there, he's going to have so. a couple of words on this before we finish, too. <laughs> um, no-till is very important. It's very important to figure out a farming system where you're disturbing the soil as little as possible. Yeah. Um, and so we have evolved to this practice of um, tilling and tilling and tilling, and, um, you know, it's, you don't have to be completely no-till, um, but you do need to think about what are ways that you can reduce your impact to the soil in terms of passing over the soil, in terms of actually turning over the soil. And um, 
you know, tilling serves some good purposes too. For organic farmers, it's an important practice. It's an important tool in their toolbox to control weeds, actually. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so tillage is very important to them. But even, but organic farmers are using such diverse crop rotations, you right. know. So you, every system has different things that you can do um, to, to promote the life in the soil. Do not disturb is a very important aspect of that. So whatever <laughs> yes. the system, whatever the system you have, you need to think about how you can reduce tillage to the extent possible to help the soil. Uh, Barry, you want to jump in on that? Well, we, we've been advancing the no-till systems. We, we kind of refer that is to a quality no-till system. And, you know, no-till wasn't what it was 20 years ago. We're, we're understanding how the benefits of, of diversity we, we understand. In, in, in just a few seconds, can you explain how it's different from 20 years ago? We're, we're actually able, through crop rotations, we're, we're not as dependent on pesticides. We're, mm-hmm. we're truly growing a living root with cover crops round the clock, mm-hmm. I mean, throughout the, the, the cropping year, so that we're cycling nutrients much better. In a no-till system, you're not stirring the soil with tillage. So we're using or organisms and roots to, to keep, keep the nutrients cycling the way we want them cycling. And that has brought about a far higher functioning no-till system with even less inputs. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a far more quality no-till system that we're, we're teaching today and working with farmers on than maybe when we first started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just didn't have the technology or the understanding to... Uh, bring about the benefits of that system that we do today. Uh, before I let you go, if you had a wish list right now for what, even in just one thing that you wish you could change in the system, uh, what would it be? Is that just too tough a question? Or? No, you know, I, one thing that would drastically improve things on a lot of levels is if every tillable acre was using cover crops. Really? Okay. It's, a, it's a practice. It, it's a it's a huge. It's a diverse practice that can be adapted to any farming system. There's hundreds of species that you could use as cover crops. So it's not a limited yes. practice. But because of that, it's a hard practice to figure out and manage because there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, but uh, if everyone you, was using cover it, crops, it would be a huge huge benefit to our soil. Do you, when you when when you suggest that to farmers, do do you get a lot of blank looks or? Are they willing to engage and, and give it a shot? Now, you're, you're smiling over there, uh, Barry. Uh. Well, most farmers remember their grandfathers using cover crops. So it's not something that they're adverse to, but it is another p- potential expense. It's another layer yeah. of management that they've got to find how to manage around. But deep down, most of the farmers that we talk to like the concept of keeping their their, their soil covered over the winter months. They like going down the road and seeing that green cover. I'll bet they do, uh, yeah. Most of their landowners, if they rent land, the landowners are very appreciative and they really like seeing their soil covered in green. So uh, it, it, it does so many things to, to uh, keep the soil functioning, keep that life in the soil fed year-round. Well, I, I'm so pleased to have both of you here, Barry Fisher from the Natural Resources Conservation Service in Indiana for the USDA and uh, Jennifer Filipiak uh, with uh, American Farmland Trust. I know you guys got to get ready for your seminar, so thanks for dropping by, and good luck. I mean, I'm, this, it's great to see, you, uh, see us all moving in a, a better direction with our farmland. 
It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're broadcasting live from the UIC Forum, the Good Food Festival and Conference here in Chicago. Billy Burdett from Advocates for Urban Agriculture is coming up next, so stick around for that. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Welcome back to the UIC Forum and the Good Food Festival and Conference on this lovely Saturday morning. Uh, kind of grayish. Yeah. Uh, we're well, sitting in the... Co- yes? I was going to say, I ran over into the exhibit hall earlier, and it's just packed with people. It's Yeah, there's, there's a lot of folks here. And uh, somebody who's sitting right next to us, um, I've known for a number of years now, and that's Billy Burdett, Executive Director for Advocates for Urban Agriculture, or AUA. Billy, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so nice of you to to stop by and talk to us, because I haven't had a chance to write back to you. I've been seeing your emails about composting, (laughs) and, you know, I'm on this listserv here, and and this is something... uh, Advocates for Urban Agriculture does a lot of stuff. You work with organizations and businesses and individuals, and you... Uh, supporting sustainable agriculture in the city farms and community gardens and in backyard farms and mm-hmm. whatever folks can do. And one of the things that you've been involved in in the last couple of years, and we'll talk about other things in a second, sure. but is composting because the city of Chicago really has some backward uh, composting ordinances, um, as has the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are just catching up here in the last few years um, to the idea that it's a resource, right? You know, food scraps and yard waste uh, and all of it is a resource, and we had just been landfilling it, and that's insanity. And so, uh, advocates for urban agriculture started partnering with people like, well, first of all, the city of Chicago right. had to sit down with them and say, "Hey, uh, dudes, can we can we change this law?" Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, but folks like uh, uh, the Illinois Environmental Council, right? Uh, you got a lot of stakeholders here, and and a lot of different people who've been sitting in the room. Uh, and what's interesting is you've been working on this now. It's got to be at least four or five years, I would think. It's it's a, it's a, it's several years. It goes back, yeah, quite a ways. And I, it's I not don't remember. Da- yeah, I know. <laughs> it's been I was, that long. I was looking yeah. at some of the, the the emails, you know, and and I'm I've got some from 2015, but at that point it had already been going on for a while. Oh yeah. And so I'm now I'm getting these emails from you, and you're saying we still need to tweak the law. Yeah. So. What's going on? What What does the average community garden uh, worker or or urban farm owner need to know right now? 
Okay. Well, so um, this uh, the Chicago composting ordinance uh, was revised significantly uh, with your involvement as well. And, and I did very uh, little, but you know, <laughs> I, I sat in a couple of meetings. So, <laughs> well, uh, I, I would beg to differ with that. But uh, uh, you know, we had a lot of stakeholders uh, from across the city um, who were. Uh, going back and forth for several months, I mean, over the course of at least a year and a half yeah. uh, with uh, the mayor's office in particular. Uh, and we were able to push through uh, this uh, ordinance that uh, for the first time allows community gardens and urban farms to accept food scraps and other organic waste from off-site. So from their neighbors or from a nearby cafe or restaurant. Um, and that's a really great thing because before that, if they wanted to compost, they just they all they had was what was on site, right Which there is at the garden. Crazy. Farm. I mean, you yeah, you can compost that stuff, but it's if that's the only source you you, you have for it, you're not making a lot of compost, right? As, and and you're also not helping your community figure out what to do with their compost. Exactly, exactly. So people, you know, were left to. You know, if they really wanted to do this, they could, you know, get their compost hauled to, you know, one of these larger composting facilities, uh, like, that's actually deemed a class three recycling facility that, you know, requires a bunch of permitting. Oh, yeah. And had a big fee, you know, uh, $3,000 for three years. Um, And so it was just, it was just a, a really frustrating sort of situation. Um, and so this this law changed that, um, which is great. Um, it, it set up all sorts of limitations around that to address concerns about you know rodents and odors and things like that. But it allows uh, these sites to uh, accept food scraps and, and other waste uh, for the first time, which is great. And then we um, also were able to change that fee that I just mentioned so mm-hmm. that uh, non profit composting facilities um, as well as urban farms can pay $300 instead of $3,000 for uh, three years. <laughs> uh, what's, uh, what's yeah. you know... A decimal point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a zero. Um, and uh, so um, that, we think, could be a real game changer because you do have some pretty uh, large farming operations and community garden operations across the city and for the most part, they've had to get their compost from way outside of the city, you know, uh, you know, out in the burbs, you yeah, know, have it yeah. hauled in on a big truck, which is expensive. Money, yeah. Some are even getting it from out of state. Mm-hmm. So, Well, because other states actually have been doing this for a long time, right. unlike Illinois. Right. <laughs> so um, we're, we're really excited about the potential for larger scale composting to happen as well with this law. But what's happening right now is once the ordinance was passed, it went to the Department of Public Health to uh, engage in a rulemaking process. So, you know, the ordinance isn't the last thing here. No. Then, then the department goes in and they say, okay, we need to fill in the gaps here, you know, um, really get into any details that are not addressed by the ordinance. Um, and so we've been working with them for a while to, to give them our input mm-hmm. on, you know, what that should look like. Um, what's one of the parts of this new ordinance um, is for a community garden or an urban farm that wants to start accepting those off-site uh, food scraps and organic waste, they have to register. It's free, 
but they have to fill out a registration form, get some basic information down about their operation. And, um, and you have to keep it uh, somewhere where the city can access it as well. Is it, well, there's and, and that, that was one of the, con the uh, concerns was, can, do you do it on site? Does it have to be on paper? Can we, you know, do it? Right. Well, there's there's the registration, and then there's a record keeping company. Right. And so there there that's that's you're right. A whole they're, other they're, conversation. They're, right. Exactly. <laughs> but it just shows you that it's not as simple as passing passing a law. Right. Now, how do we enforce this law? Right. How do we make it work? How do we make it workable for you know the huge variety of urban farms and community gardens out there? A lot of community gardens are entirely volunteer run, um, and some of them are very interested in in. Uh, taking advantage of these new rules and, and being able to accept food scraps from their neighbors, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah. Um, but there there needs to be a workable system in place, especially for the record keeping side of it, so that they can. What we're trying to push for right now is for them to be able to do it both on paper, on site, but also be able to do it uh, electronically if they want to, like you know, fill out a form uh, on an iPad or on a smartphone yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, and for the city to be able to access that, um, so we've been going back and forth on this sort of stuff. One, uh, one of the I mean, things... you're you're still actually defining terms, which is kind of interesting. You yeah. know, one of the reasons I didn't write back to you when I saw the emails is all these other people who who responded. I'm like, oh, they got it. They 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 <laughs> they know what they're talking about here. And you know, it's like talking about the definition of grinding. Oh, okay, right. and, and we're we're talking in, it's about compost. Yes. Okay, not anything else. But I was going to say as opposed to twerking or something. Yeah, exactly. Grinding. Got to uh, twerk that. <laughs> That compostable <laughs> material as well. Yeah. Uh, so that that continues, uh, and so m my feeling is um, uh, you you should be congratulated because you continue to work on this and make you know at some point you're going to codify it all, mm -hmm. and then folks are going to be able to compost on site in Chicago and actually and if they don't charge tipping fees, right? A they lot don't of do it, that. They can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. But as long as but. It's going to a good cause, which is create compost, which mm -hmm. you can use to uh, make your soil better. Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen some other great stuff kind of coming out of this whole compost uh, world where you have people who are doing pickup services. And they're creating businesses of that where they, you know, uh, one guy has got a bike and with mm -hmm. a trailer on yeah. the back. And he'll yeah. pick up food scraps from people and bring it to a, a composting facility. Um, and that's allowed with this with this ordinance. Uh, the, you, you, as a site, you can't charge like as a community garden or urban farm taking advantage of this new stuff. You can't charge to accept uh, the the compost materials. But you know, a one of these businesses can uh, charge a fee to go and pick it up pick and then it deliver up. it to and a spot. So you know, all sorts of great e economic uh, opportunities with that. It, it, and 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 that's a really key point. Is that you're you're helping create jobs. Mm -hmm. It's not just soil, which people are have farmers and gardeners have an interest in good soil, but it's uh, economic opportunity is is very important. Mm -hmm. So I was going to say, Billy, for people who want to learn more about it, where what are a couple of good resources? Well, um, the I guess the portal is uh, auachicago.org. That's our website. Um, that's where you can kind of connect to everything that we have going on. We have three different working groups that are primarily volunteer. Uh, an advocacy working group that works on developing policy and best practices, connections working group that works on all of our events and our community outreach across the city, and then our resources working group, which uh, 
compiles a lot of informational resources like our uh, Urban Agriculture Resource Guide, our Chicago Urban Agriculture Mapping Project, um, but the, the Advocacy Working Group, um, it's very easy to connect to that through our website, and that is the group that's, that's looking at this stuff and working on it. So in about a minute and a half here that we have left, um, what else that AUA is doing right now is very exciting for you? Uh, something that um, that I'm really excited about just very recently here. I mean, there's so many things, but um, we have mostly worked in Chicago, um, and we were recently contacted by somebody who um, is uh, in Elmhurst who built this, what by all appearances, I can't endorse it formally because I haven't seen it in person, <laughs> but by all appearances and indications is uh, a pretty fantastic uh, uh, home-engineered hoop house uh, that they set up really? in their backyard wow. to extend their growing season, uh, protect their crops in the in the colder months, and um, they got an order from from the city to take it down uh, because they said that they're that it was violating uh, building code for yeah. permanent buildings and for mm -hmm. mobile homes. Huh. Um, and so we've been engaged in conversations with with them and and looking into reaching out to the Elmhurst City Council mm -hmm. to to do everything that we can to make sure that. Um, home gardeners are able to do this. They're able to, you know, grow their yeah. own food, and, and in a climate like ours, that often means extending your season. And hoop houses are such a great way to do that because they're relatively low cost. Um, they're they're easy to take mm -hmm. down. So you know, you can take it down for the warmer months, put it back up for the colder months. Um, yeah. And it's uh, we we view it as a very essential thing, and for people to be able to do, and it's a, and it's an essential, fundamental yeah. human right. We think to be able to grow your own food. <laughs> I think and so. I, I think it's probably a lot of educating though the building departments because yes. they think it's a gazebo, or they're trying to force fit it under the gazebo. Right. Well, not Permit. even that. Not even yeah. a gazebo. I mean, yeah, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know there's what it is. still there's code that allows for like a uh, you know a canopy, mm -hmm. like and 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 other uh, sort of membrane structures uh, that are impermanent, and it's no problem. Um, but you know, the, yeah. some some just municipalities don't just don't. Yeah. yeah, this is yeah. a new thing, or you know, an old thing that's coming back. <laughs> and and the other thing, and we got to wrap it up. The other thing is always the health issue. Some people are afraid that. Where there's food, there's pathogens. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's vermin. There's you know, and, and we got like where there's compost. There's we have vermin. to disabuse people of that notion. Yeah, it's, a we, lot of a lot of it really does come down to just education because um, this is a new concept for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's okay. Billy Burdett, Executive Director, Advocates for Urban Agriculture. Of course, you can always go to uh, AUA Chicago. You can do that on uh, Facebook and on Twitter and on the web, auachicago.org, and it'll get you there. Such a great pleasure to have you here at the Good Food Festival. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. We, I understand Band of Farmers is in the mm -hmm. house, and they will be with us next. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, broadcasting live from the Good Food Festival and Conference at the UIC Forum. Stick around for the next thing. <laughs> Whatever.
DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Chicagoans use your blue carts to recycle. Bottles, flattened boxes, jugs with the lids on, tin and aluminum cans, juice cartons, and mail. No plastic bags, including store bags, no greasy pizza boxes, styrofoam, disposable coffee cups, light bulbs, napkins, electronics, or shredded paper. Put your items loose in the blue cart and not in a plastic bag. Visit RecycleByCity.com Chicago and let's make Chicago beautiful and green. We're back live at the UIC Forum uh, at the Good Food Festival and Conference. Peggy Malecki is here. I'm Mike Novak. This is the Mike Novak Show. And last but certainly not least, we got the Band of Farmers, and uh, they gave... Look Where what they the brought thing? us. Oh. They get a ding. Oh, wait, that ding is just sad. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I love uh, my little uh, button. I'm with the band. I'm with the band. Uh, I know the band. And the band is the Band of Farmers. Okay, and the first thing I'm going to say, because I I, I need to get this out, and I said it on the show before, I am so impressed with the uh, document you guys put together, that guide for uh, CSAs that is now in Natural Awakenings. Pick up the March issue of Natural Awakenings Chicago, uh, they can go to nachicago.com. Uh, but if you pick it up and you have it in your hand and you flip it open, it is so cool. This, uh, this is well-designed and has so much information. And why don't one some of, great maps. And, and, and we have Jen Miller and Chris <laughs> Trog here from uh, Band of Farmers. Um, who wants to explain what this little document is all about. Uh, oh, they're, they're pointing, pointing at, at each, each other. other. Yeah, okay. All right, that's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. My, my bad. Now. now I can I, oh, there we go. Okay. Right. So the document Mike's referring to is our CS, Chicagoland CSA guide. Um, we have in it every band of farmers CSA farmer um, it, that delivers to the Chicagoland area. Um, it lists a uh, little information about each farm, also lists uh, what they grow or produce, and where they deliver to, um, either drop-off sites or at-home deliveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, also has maps to refer you to general areas uh, to make it a little quicker. And you're one of those farms. Which number are you? I am on the very last page. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> the number, but right Isn't there. Isn't that the way? In huh? the upper left of that page. Trucks there, Hollow. Trucks Hollow. Right. Because yes. I've had you guys on my show before. But you've got a lot of the little keys there, the little icons, which means you offer a lot of different services. We do. Uh, Trogs Hollow, we work with a lot of the other band of farmers to bring their food to areas that they don't get to. Uh-huh. So we grow vegetables ourselves, but we bring meat and honey and eggs and fruit and whatever from other farmers and band of farmers so that uh, more of the Chicagoland area has access to it. All right. And then uh, and that number, by the way, if you're looking, is 44. But if you go back a couple of pages to 35, you're going to find Prairie Wind Family Farm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's where you come in, Jen. 
Yep, we are located in Grays Lake. We are the resident farm at Prairie Crossing, mm -hmm. which is a conservation community in Grays Lake. And uh, we grow certified organic vegetables on 40 acres and offer fresh fruit shares from our partners in Michigan and uh, raise hens for pastured eggs. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, you're just one, let's see, they got 51 total yep. farms wow. in here, which is, and, 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 I, and, I, and I just keep telling people, mm -hmm. pick, if you want to know anything about CSAs, just grab this little brochure, which right. is, uh, and you have these separate too. If, if folks want to get a hold of a hard copy, how do they do that, other than Natural Awakening Chicago? They we're trying to get them placed wherever Natural mm -hmm. Awakenings isn't in the city and in the suburbs. Also, right here at Good Food, every farmer has a packet of them that they can hand out. And online, we don't have a physical copy online, but you can actually go to our website, and there's a wonderful page-turning page page yeah. yeah. graphic yeah. that you can I, see and you, online. And actually, you can link to that at MikeNovak.net. I put it up with yeah. this week's show, so the link is there. So if you can't get your hands on a hard copy here, you can go... Uh, and link on my website, and you can also do it at Natural Awakenings yeah, can, Online. Yeah, we've got the link on. And on the Natural screen. Awakenings Online, again. NAChicago.com. NAChicago.com. So I wanted to go back to something Chris said. Yes. You, you said all of the Band of Farmers CSAs are in there. So what... What, 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 is a what band falls of under the Band CSA? of Farmers yeah, CSA? Band of Farmers represents any CSA farm that wants to be part of the coalition mm -hmm. and is going to be open about how they grow. There's no other requirements as far as organic or conventional or chemical-free. We just want to organize all the CSA farms that bring food to the Chicagoland area and educate the consumers in the Chicagoland area about the opportunities and the resources they have from these uh, CSA farms. So you're saying you, you don't judge uh, right. on that. So I'm going to start Chemical Farms Chicago, and I can go into the band of farmers, right? If you're a CSA farm. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. You deliver we, the chemicals we don't to discriminate the farmers about market. That's that. right. I will get to, no, I'm kidding. Band of Farmers is also not just a group, and I know that what you're trying to do is teach people about CSAs and teach them the, the, the value of knowing their farmer, and right. that's, that's what this is all about. We, right. Earlier today, we talked about the value of knowing your fishermen, mm -hmm. okay? Right. It's the, just know your food. Where's this, your food yeah. coming? You, the CSF, and, the Community yes. Supported Farmers. Right. And, exactly. and, and Sitka is a member, yeah. a supporting a member supporting of member. the Band of Farmers as well. You yeah. know, and uh, there are, are uh, meat CSAs, there are egg CSAs, there are just you know different and, ways that and you, you do dairy. Yeah, exactly. And you do dairy. All and kinds of things that you can find in that magazine, and they all have little icons, so it makes it easy to find uh, what you're looking for. You know, Jody Osmond, I go to the, um, uh, he's with Cedar Valley Sustainable Farm, mm -hmm. and at the Logan Square Farmer's Market, I'm over there buying, you know, a half yep. a chicken or something like that, and, and, yep. it, and it's great. So uh, you've got that part of it. We've got just a couple more minutes, but tell us about the Band of Farmers as a band. <laughs> <laughs> a talented band. A talented band. <laughs> well, you know, once a year uh, we get together and pretend. Because all that, that's all the people can handle, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Before we, we start some of our farming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we pretend that we can do other things than farm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I'm sure you can. And so you can drive we, a car, uh, you know, that sort of we thing. We get together at uh, one of the local establishments and put on a performance. We raise some money for the organization itself, advertise CSA farms, and uh, just have a bunch of fun. Yeah. Um, this year, it's actually next Saturday night, we're at the Red Line Tap up in Rogers Park, 
and uh, we have... I was at the one last year. And, uh, but now I noticed that you, you're back in the evening. It was in the day last year and right. not, a, not as well attended. Is that what you're thinking? Uh, yeah, that, and it's where we can get a spot. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got it. Okay. And adult beverages tend to help talent. So. Yes. <laughs> the drunker you are, the better we sound, basically. <laughs> yes, I know how that works. I'm an entertainer myself. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, even before the organization itself, a bunch of farmers would get together and just mess around and have fun. There's music, there's poetry, mm-hmm. there's Yeah, well, and when you say band, it's, it's just all kinds of different things right. that you're going to see. Fashion show. Fashion, um, right. yes, the fashion so show. It's, it's a lot of that. Well, thank you both for stopping by for this short segment. Mm-hmm. And I hope folks that show up at the, the Red Line Tap um, next Saturday, the 25th of March. Yeah. From we, 7 to 10. 7 to 10 p.m. Peggy and I will be coming off of our broadcast at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Uh, Jen Miller uh, from Prairie Wind Family Farm. Chris Trog from Trog's Hollow. Thank you so much. Uh, thank that, you. That kind of wraps it wow. up for the show. Let me, let me thank all of the folks who are on the show today, including uh, Jen and Chris and uh, Nick Mink from Sitka Salmon Shares, Amber Peterson from Fishmonger's Wife in Muskegon. Uh, we had Billy Burdett from Advocates for Urban Agriculture, Jennifer Filipiak from American Farmland Trust, and Barry Fisher from the uh, USDA in Indiana. Thank you all, and thanks all who stopped by the Good Food Festival and conference. And thank you to Lily, who has been uh, here since the show started. She is she the gets best. a T-shirt. She gets a, definitely gets a T-shirt. I'll give you a two if you want. Uh, we'll be at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show next week at Navy Pier, 10 a.m. Until next week, uh, go green or go home. Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.